Hey, I'm so glad you're here because I don't often get the opportunity to share with you exactly what I do and what we do here at On Air Brands. So we help the folks in our community and our clients to launch a podcast and then produce them on a weekly basis. We also help to promote each episode with close to a dozen social media posts that consist of quote cards, sound bites, and video clips. And then we post them for you on your socials automatically. So if you're a business owner with a ton on your plate, and a podcast just seems super overwhelming, I get it. We don't need one more thing to worry about. So let me and my team at On Air Brands do the heavy lifting each week so that you can focus on what you do best, which is to build your business, have more time to pour into your family and your community, or just plain chill and recharge. So feel free to email me at eric at On Air Brands so that we can book time together to chat about how we can align with your mission and how you can align with ours, which is to make the world better one mic at a time. Now back to the show. Welcome back, folks, to another episode of the Entrepreneur Circle. I am your most happy and humbled host, as usual, Eric Cabral, here with my dude, my man in uh, all things construction and real estate. His name is Tony Johnson, and I want to welcome you to, to the show, brother. Aha! Uh-huh. Thanks so much, Eric. Appreciate you having me on, dude. I appreciate <laughs> it a lot. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad we're able to spend time. He is a fellow GoBro, as many of you know, is a mastermind of uh, wealthy individuals that are really trying to make an impact collectively and hold each other accountable through those processes as they grow as an individual, as a business owner, just all the holistic sort of things that you would need to succeed. So Tony, for those who don't know, is the president of Timeless Capital Investments and Timeless Properties Construction. He's based out of North Carolina. And um, he is he has uh, an impressive over 20-year career in the construction industry. And when he kick-started it, he was supplying building materials and residential for uh, residential and commercial projects. And from day one, he was in love with that industry and the importance of building relationships and realizing that, uh, you know, mastering all the arts of estimating and soaking up that knowledge uh, brought him to eventually create his own company in 07. Uh, called timeless property. So it's 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 humble beginnings that we're going to hear and we're going to uh talk to him about all the things that he succeeded in, uh lifelong learner, uh hence why we're all in the same group here at GoBundance and he has a mission to connect and inspire all those people out there that are also trying to make a positive impact especially in the uh contracting space. But again, brother, welcome to the show man and um I'm 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 looking forward to getting into it with you much that's quite an introduction i don't know i feel like i'm man this is like <laughs> i feel like i'm supposed to be somebody special i don't know <laughs> no worries man. special as, as much you made me feel like but man that's great thank hey, you so much I, hey i think that's the best introduction i've had my whole life i'm gonna have to kind of make sure i keep this thing going around hey you can always use that clip right there and i'll <laughs> i'll be there virtually for you uh to introduce you but yeah uh i want to start off with our very first question here and like i mentioned to you earlier just sort of parachute into your life or your business and the eureka moment that caused a change in 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 your life or in your business. Sure. Again, thank you so much for having me. I sincerely appreciate it. So, I, I mean, if I look at a eureka moment for business, so before I was in construction, I uh, was a bartender through college and owned 
a bar, opened a bar, I should say, with friends right after I graduated. And um, my eureka moment was I was doing all the work uh, <laughs> with the bar while everybody else was partying. And I was sitting there late nights doing all numbers. And uh, that my eureka moment was, man, if I'm going to do a business again, I'm not going to do a partnership. <laughs> that was that was my first eureka moment. Then uh, when I was doing construction sales, I was selling building materials, as you kind of briefly stated there, in the 07 time frame. And anybody who's anybody in the world here knows that that was a booming market for real estate and building was going on everywhere. So I walked in and out of the gate and making a ton of money. I started at a company called 84 Lumber, uh, which sells building material. They sell a broad array of it. One of the best things about that company is they had a great training program. So I went in knowing little to nothing about construction at all. But it taught me how to estimate takeoffs with building plans, taught me about all different types of building materials. It's a great program. It's a management program that they offer. And so within probably three or four months, I was fully up to speed and understood takeoffs. And within about a year, right at the end of 07, let's call it beginning of 08, when the market was still booming, um, I really had gotten the confidence to feel like I could do this on my own. Um, so. I basically was watching all of these contractors in that time frame make a ton of money, had no idea what they were doing. I was doing takeoff building materials for them and watching these guys make hand over fist money and had no idea what they were doing. So it gave me the idea to try and pursue that on my own. So oh, that wow. was probably the biggest eureka moment that changed my perception of what I could be and where I could go. So you so you had business experience in the bar? So you were part owner? It in that yeah, I was part owner of a bar. So I managed bars while I was in college. I was a bartender, managed bars in college. And then out of college, you know, me and a couple of the other bartenders, we opened a bar and uh, it was a great experience. If you, I mean, we did a lot of drinking, a lot of partying and, you know, it was a fun time and we made good money. You know, we always used to be like, well, here's what you make if this was a real job. But, you know, we'd only work, you know, 15 hours a week. And it would be at night, you know, and, you know, then get intoxicated after work and, you know, whatever. So it was a very fun experience, but not one. I met my wife at my bar, my now wife at my bar. And kind of once we started to settle down, it just didn't have the appeal anymore. So that's kind of how what we decided to kind of move out of that realm of my life. I was just going to ask you, uh, was the driving force or a strong uh, <laughs> uh, influence to to pick up the ladies <laughs> by being one yeah. of the bar owners? <laughs> I mean, I think that's why I got into bartending initially, right, was the drive <laughs> for the ladies. Because, you know, you're in there and all the ladies then are trying to talk to you to get a drink instead of, of you having to try and talk to them. So yeah, it it's a, it definitely helps. Uh, you, you, hacked it. you, you hacked yeah. the code there. You hacked the code. So that was the driving force for wanting to get into bartending, but it was a fun time. You know, it's a, it, it's something you can't do long-term, I would say, because it's, it is, you know, it's trying on somebody's health. Hey, it served its purpose, right? You find your, you found your wife. It would never would have occurred, right? Uh, family right. guy, all that stuff. Yeah, I picked up the guitar to pick up, uh, to pick up girls. So. That's a, that's the other option. <laughs> I mean, there's only two options in life: you bartender or you play guitar. Owning the bar though is a little bit harder. That you took it to the next step. What made you uh, want to own the bar versus you know just working in a bar, someone else's business? Well, I mean, I, I think I do not do well 
you know, with people giving me orders, which is why, you know, I've never held a job a long time when I was working for others. And so even when I was managing bars, the first bar I was managing, uh, you know, I went in there, I started bartending, then I got to the management position relatively fast. I increased revenue. I created some college, um, you know, specials and went and I was going to the college called University of North Carolina Wilmington in town here. So I would go and by myself, go put out 5,000 flyers all over the campus. And so then generate a college night from that and create the specials and do whatever. And then I would have the, you know, owner come down and tell me, oh, you're not doing this right now. And I'm like, listen, I just created you, tripled your revenue. And you want to tell me about what I'm not doing right? So obviously got in a couple of arguments, ended up getting fired from that one, but then went and did the same model and built up a, a couple other bars. But it always, each time I was just like, man, you know, I'm making all this money for somebody else. Why don't I go do this at my own bar? And so that's what we did. And we did very well. Um, it was just, that's a lot. So that's that's a very difficult uh, business, just like the restaurant business, because it's weird hours, you're working. It's just not conducive for someone older. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. How, how long did you run that business for? So we owned the bar. We opened in 2002 and sold it in 2007. Uh, and I think the the new owners we brought on, they probably made it a year. It's really that type of uh, a bar and bars in general. I think they rely upon the people that work in there. You know, they're the bartenders are the drivers to the business, right? So if people like the bartenders, then they go to the bar. And so then it becomes a popular place to be. And I was always of the opinion that you want all guy bartenders because that's where you bring the females into the bar. And then the females bring all the males into the bar. Brilliant. But as long as you get more females. Yeah. The ratio. What's the exact ratio? I don't know. You want to be two, <laughs> you want to be close to two to one females to males. <laughs> two to one. Okay. That, wow. Okay. I was gonna I was gonna think you, you know, it was like seven to three or something. Um, but that's that's interesting. So would you say though, the the lessons that you learned from from that experience in 02 to 07, and then you said, you know, the short stint uh, at 84 Lumber, um, you know, all of that combined, you gave you the confidence, you know, from from that experience to go, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go create uh, capital properties. Yeah, well, there was time. There was time I mean, timeless, was yeah, it, it, yeah. yeah, no problem. So yeah, that was, you know, that really wasn't the, it wasn't like an aha moment of that. I just saw everyone making money and I was watching a bunch of these flip this house. There was a guy that was called Trademark Properties out of Charleston, South Carolina. And I, he had, there was a bunch of these different guys doing flip this house, but this guy was very inspirational. Um, and so I really enjoyed this guy. I actually went and uh, he was doing a thing where the market was booming. And I, I met the guy. He was He was a great person. So, you know, he was probably inspirational in why I named my company Timeless Properties because he was trademark properties, right? So um, th that was it. But, you know, it never panned out at anything towards flipping houses. I, I never flipped any houses. Uh, it was anything with that. My first job I ever did with my construction company was, um, you know, cleaning out an old building for University of North Carolina at Wilmington. It was $600 and it was basically sweeping and cleaning out a building before it was getting demolished. So that was that project. Now that did, you know, turn into another small opportunity at the college. And, and then I, you know, built a um, relationship with some of the people at that college and got a bunch of work for years. 
um, until some of them retired. But so that was a, a great form uh, for me to get going and help me, uh, you know, and we can go into that a little bit more if you'd like and understand how everything went with that. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious what, um, you know, when you started on your own uh, with with timeless properties, were were you aware of of your strengths in terms of okay I'm the operator or I'm the visionary or you know integrator visionary like or were you just you know figuring it out as you go were you picking up business books or you just going by gut at that point so that's interesting that you bring it up so I I've always been an avid reader for education so you know when when this was happening that was still CDs I, I even had some tapes from books. So I've always been a big advocate of educational books. So at that time, it was a lot of sales books. So I went through every sales book that there was when I was doing sales. And I still feel like sales and marketing, that's helped me grow my business, understanding sales and how constantly, I mean, I get rejected nonstop and I would constantly just find new avenues, find new avenues, find new avenues, and then diversify. I wish I could say honestly that I even had heard of Visionary and Integrator at that time frame, but I hadn't. So that was not on my radar. Um, there's a lot of things that I wish I would have learned earlier in the business life. But initially, you know, like most businesses, it was, I was the all-in-one guy. I would say, I was I was the all-in-one guy, but never in my life have I ever picked up a hammer. Do I do any labor? I, I'm not a skilled laborer. I would never do that. So that is one aspect. I always treated it as a business, not as me going out and creating labor work for myself, right? So I think that's very important when you're getting in this is to not buy myself work um, as far as labor. I did buy myself a position with my company, but it was more as an executive from the very beginning. So from the very beginning, I brought on people to run jobs and, um, you know, try and delegate out as much as I could so I could focus on acquiring business and opportunities. So what would you classify yourself in that sense? And, and anyone who's listening, we're referencing, uh, you know, Gina Wickman's traction and the EOS sort of model and that the visionary role and then the integrator role are uh, critical to to building a business, you know, to scale. Um, where would you classify uh, your strengths so and what I, you like I've to play? Gone, I've gone back and forth. I'm 100% a visionary. I'm I'm mixed on if I am the visionary integrator or just the visionary because I do a lot of the, I've created all my processes. I, you know, detailed and written out all my processes. So I, you know, do a portion of the integrator role. So writing systems. So I'm one of those that's kind of a both. You know, yeah, they say yeah. you're either a visionary or an integrator, but there are a few that are more that's both. So I am... I would consider myself, I think, both. Um, I've looked at it a multitude of ways for myself and tried to figure it out. And that's how I would settle on. I think I'm a mixture of the both of them. Yeah, yeah, more, absolutely. Definitely more visionary than integrator, though. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, you're a sales marketing guy, too, man. You've got the chops and the instinct um, from from what I'm hearing as well. So so that's pretty cool. Uh, I, I'm curious, though, you mentioned, I want to go back to uh, the, the, the cassette tape days and the CD days and um, uh, the run to the back of the room days. Do you remember that uh, in terms of like gurus selling you real yep. estate courses? Did you experience mm -hmm. any of that? And and I'm curious if you're even aware, because I, I often wonder this because I'm not in that space anymore. Is um, Do they still do that? <laughs> is that still effective? 
I, I don't know. I don't know. I do know that, you know, I, I remember back in 07, I did go to a couple of real estate groups and they were, I, I was trying to be sold some courses. And then, you know, there was, when they did that, uh, flip their house, there was a, a flip this house, or whatever. There was this guy, Armando Montalego or something like that, that was selling. That was his whole thing. He did the flip this house and then created his whole course, went all around and then, you know, ended up going belly up and was, you know, had got a bunch of sued for all his fraudulent the way he was portraying everything. So I think now, you know, back then there just were not a lot of these courses where they're all over the place right now, right? You can get opportunities everywhere. I think it's internet wasn't as prevalent back then and there just wasn't access to all the information there is now. Um, so yeah, it was still books. And I, I, I do recall, you know, there was this one, it was called The Answer by uh, John Ashroff or uh, or whatever, I think as I'm not positive, I'm, I'm probably mangling his name. But anyway, he had a very inspirational book. So he, uh, when I listened to his audio book, because I'm definitely not a big reader, but I do listen to audio. I must have listened to that audio book five, six times, right? Just over and over and over again. It was very inspirational. And one of the biggest takeaways I've got, and I still do, if I could flip my camera and I'd show you, I still do vision boards. He was a big advocate of vision boards. So I've always written out my goals. So I've got goal books, notebooks that I've written out every day. I used to write them every single solitary day from 2007 on. And all those goals, I go back and I achieved every single one. 10 times, tenfold, right? But every single day I would write, I would rewrite the same goals every single day. It was my habit, write the goal, write the goal, write the goal in present form. Like I've already, you know, completed that goal. And it would be whatever it was, you know, I don't smoke, I weigh this much, I lift this many times a week, I do workouts, I'm making this much per month, I'm worth this much, I own a home here, I own another home here, I do this. Every single one of those goals I, I surpassed and then surpassed again, then surpassed again and continued writing. I'm a huge advocate of that stuff. And vision boards are the same thing. You basically immerse yourself and you look at the picture of what you want and clarifies and you just constantly are looking at it for reference. So I no. love those things. Yeah, I love it. It's like affirmations, manifestation, um, all, all that stuff. Yeah, I, I highly effective. Um, it's funny you say, uh, you know, Rod Khalif, I'm sure, you know, we're all in that industry. Yeah. So he's he's a big proponent, right, of all that. He's he's kind of in that, uh, he, that guy's larger than life, you know, physically and, and personality wise. But um, I had him on the show and and, and he did what, exactly what you said. He flipped over or maybe pulled it into the camera, his gigantic it must have been 36 by 48 uh, vision board <laughs> had like Mercedes Benz and uh, all these things on it. Like, and that's my house. And this <laughs> he pointed to the things yeah. that he actually created. You want to, I'd love to hear you break that down or give an example of something that happened where, you know, like you put something on there, um, not necessarily knowing how, and then, and then it manifested itself uh, over time. I, I mean, there's really so many things, but so there has been a home. So, I mean, when I started in 07, I, you know, I met my wife. I was living in a place with two guys in a shared home. It was, so it was one of us sleeping on a couch. It was a two-bedroom home. Three of us lived in there. You know, we worked, got our first home. 
in 2007, just a like a 1,200 square foot home. And I would drive my wife nuts with all my writing of goals and vision and keeping on telling her all this stuff. She'd be like, you drive me crazy. And I was, I'm like, oh, there's this very nice community where we live. It's called Landfall. So I was like, I'm going to live in Landfall. I'm going to live in one of the biggest houses in Landfall. So there was this magazine that had um, this, like my favorite house in Landfall. So that went on my very first vision board. And it was, I had multiple pictures of that home. And it was probably um, a 5,000 square foot home in Landfall. And it just had a gorgeous design from, you know, the builder had done it. And it was just, my wife was like, you know, I'm comfortable here. We love this house. And I mean, we're, it was a $130,000 little brick house. You know, it was tiny and, we, you know, we had nothing. And so I had, you know, built up some credit card debt. And I think I was probably in $30,000 worth of credit card debt and, you know, was kind of, set barely making enough to just keep alive right so then we started um trying to say well maybe i should use dave ramsey and save money through that and you know more books because i'd read that book so i tried that system didn't didn't really fly with me we bought a couple cheap cars they were breaking down there were pieces of junk i was like this is the worst idea ever i don't (laughs) don't want anything to do with these things so you know i was like so i was like you know i'm gonna just have to make more money to get out of debt my wife kept on saying just make more money i was like because i was like well we need to cut spending she's like just go make more money cut spending. I'd rather you go make more money. So it was just, okay, how do I make more money? How do I make more money? And so the intensity of looking at that vision board every day, writing my goals, you know, we've worked, uh, I bought my first, I bought um, in 2012, I bought my first vacant lot in that landfall community and built my first house in there. I bought the lot off of foreclosure because the market was terrible for like 39,000 the same lots right now in that little section are over 300,000. And when in when the market before it collapsed, that lot had sold for 400,000 before it went into foreclosure. So we, but when I bought it, there was only like three other homes in that little section. And uh, so I was questioning, is this a good, is this a good deal? Is this good? I don't know if this is a great deal or what. So anyway, I ended up buying it, built the house, we sold out of that house. I built another one right as in 2014, as the market was starting to, you know, stabilize and get better. And so I think I paid 65,000 for that lot, built my second home in that community bigger now. And then, uh, um, 2019, I bought my third lot in that community. And now I live in over 7,000 square foot on the golf course. Probably it's a nicer house than the one that was on the vision board that all the way circles back to that vision board. Everything was based on my initial belief in myself. And it took me, you know, from that was probably 07 to now. So it took a while, but I got there. Right. And so, you know, and then you have to continually set more goals. So as I'm progressing, my vision board's changing, but I still have that vision board was still with those pictures of the house in my attic right to look at and it's the same thing i've got truck the truck that i drive is one that had a vision board everything everything i do is vision board and gold and they all come to fruition not, not all on one board yeah separate ones for separate goals right gotcha. yeah absolutely yeah yeah i love that i love that um in the industry because since you've been around for for a while and you've you've been through the downturns and the ups and downs and we're currently in um in in a recession you know most people want to accept or not uh, where do you think the real estate industry is now uh, as you see it and experiencing it? And where do you think it's uh, going in the next few years? 
the real estate industry right now, I mean, there's obviously it's market specific, right? And each market's going to be a little different because it's all local. But, you know, as as an industry as a whole, I think it's safe to say that, you know, if if you're trying to sell now or you're doing something now, you missed the peak. So the peak has passed and we're definitely on the decline. And it's it's which sectors are going to be affected the most and how you know, what, what is going to really be the driving factor to cause something to really collapse or fall apart? And then what does that look like? It's it, that, that's hard to say any, there's a bunch of different people that are calling a bunch of different things, but I think, you know, the shorts, the short of the story is we're going to be declining and it will decline very slowly. Like anything, this stuff takes the people that were calling the crash that happened in 08 started calling it in 06 while it was still booming. And those are all the people that made all the money from the crash in 08 and 09, really, right? So these things people have been calling now for a crash really from 2022. So if we look at that timeline, you're really gonna start seeing the effects of the crash mid 2024, right? So that's, these things take time. There's people now we've got, you know, highest ever credit, personal credit card debt, right? Highest ever. You've got all the, bonds are inverted. You've got the banks are tightening up. So lending is tightening. The rates are extremely high. So people have bought these short term, excuse me, have these shorter term loans for commercial products that they bought multifamily in 19, 20, 2021. These are all going to start coming due. And then all of a sudden, these things don't value out for what they purchased them for. And so there's going to be a bunch of decisions to make on that. The office sector is in major decline in large areas of the country. But I mean, there's still pockets. My pocket is still pretty good. Um, but you know, if you look at the national landscape, that's it. As far as housing, I think the housing shortage is a, still a real thing. So I think the market's going to slow on transactions. I don't, and it'll probably have some decline, maybe 20, 30%. I don't see it going much further down than that. So still, you're good if you bought in, you know, 19, 20. You're good on anything you purchase as far as residential, yeah, single family. Gotcha. Gotcha. I love it. I love, I love your perspective. How, how does technology uh, play a role in, in, in real estate uh, for the foreseeable? Not, not even foreseeable. I would say, you know, within the next five, how do you, how do you think? I think it's prime, it's prime for disruption, this industry versus many. Um, that, that's my opinion. Uh, what's your opinion on how technology plays a role in real estate? Well, I mean, we've seen a lot, right? So with AI, in you know how AI is just blowing up now. So if you if you don't get an understanding of AI, Chat GPT, and and these platforms, these new artificial intelligence platforms, you're going to wake up in a year from now and be lost because this stuff is going so fast that if you don't get any basic understanding, you're gonna you're gonna be surpassed. So technology is going to play a massive role, and just even people visiting websites where AI is going to you know complete completely interact with that person and they get smarter and smarter and smarter where you don't even know if you're dealing with a person or AI. You you even make phone calls sometimes right now and you're dealing with AI and you can't even tell, right? It's just, it's astounding how quickly this goes. It's almost like you would like to put a pause button on it so we can all catch up, but it, it's not happening. So you just have to gain as much understanding as you can so you don't get left in the dust. Do you think there's a... um there's a responsibility from our end, you know, as as not you and I, but the people who, you know, the musks of the world who are 
I think uh, Musk is a proponent of slowing it down, but I, I think that it's 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 the animal has been let out of the cages. You can't stop it at this point. I, so you've just got to figure out how to navigate through it, all of us. And you know how many jobs are going to be lost um, is is you know, questionable. It could be quite a bit. I mean, there's still a lot of stuff that you're still better having human, but there will be a lot of jobs lost. Every job lost, there'll be a new opportunity with a different type of position. But I think that goes back to saying that you have to educate yourself. You have to understand, you have to foresee these things or you'll be without a career and without any skills to navigate that, you know, new new industry and new uh, environment that we're going to be entering into, I think. Yeah. Do, do you tend to look at it from an optimistic or somewhat cautious or pessimistic view in terms of how it's going to affect you not you know for the foreseeable you know next couple of decades I mean, I or your, your, your kids lot. i think it, i think it, thank you <laughs> so i think i think it adds a lot of convenience for a lot of mundane tasks right so you know you want to write a paper you want to write an email you want to do something that's just basic that you can get a template i mean you just go on chat gpt and put in what you're doing and man you get this in two seconds you don't even have to think so then it, i mean a lot of the times it's it's a bunch of jibble jarble and you know it's so broad you have to kind of you know hone it in but man does it give you a good template to get started and kind of shorten the curve on getting something done that's what i see for an advantage I, I wish I could say I understand a lot more of the complexities of the other aspects of it. I know you can do like people are going in, they've got AI where it will create your logo real quick. I mean, there's so many different facets. I can't keep up with it, you know, but there's that's why I'm just trying to keep the broad understanding so I don't get left in the dust. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, this is this has been great, brother. I, I, I love chatting with you about this stuff. Um, I want to get to sort of the tail end, the penultimate uh, of the show question in that um, embracing the F word meaning failure. So if any stories that you could share where uh, you fell and you had to pick yourself back up that we could we could basically learn from. Sure. I mean, I, I probably have more failures than I know what to do with, right? I mean, I haven't, fortunately, I should say, I haven't been to the point where I have failed massively and lost everything or, or anything like that, like I'm sure plenty of people have. And a lot of times that's that's great for a learning experience if you can make it through it and thrive. You know, I would say my biggest failures have just been, you know, great. I, I try and take every failure as a learning experience. So, um, you know, I'm a big Dan Sullivan component. So the gap in the game and, and Ben Hardy and those guys, I feel like are great. So whenever I have something that's a challenge, and a defeat, I try and just, um, you know, look at the positive side of it and see what I can learn from it. That's how I've tried to approach failures here lately for the past couple of years. Uh, but one of the biggest failures I had was um, I did in the construction industry here, you know, you build long-term relationships with subcontractors and such. So I did have a concrete subcontractor that had worked for me for a better part of six or seven years. And there was a FedEx building coming into town. And of course, he wanted to do the concrete contract on it, and it was probably, I don't know, four or $500,000. So way over something that he could, you know, financially tackle. And so they they weren't comfortable signing the contract with him, the head contractor. So, you know, he asked if I would support him in that. And so I ended up getting involved in it and, you know, helping him out with that and, and then got involved in a couple other trades for the large contractor doing the FedEx building. And... um 
you know, in the course of that, he, this job was over his head. I should have realized it. I, I, and I go and then I'm all of a sudden stuck. So I ended up losing a massive amount of money, having to repair and cut out a large portion of the whole building he did. He, you know, ditched the job, left me handling the job, fixing the job. And then after I fixed the job, then the contractor um, didn't pay any of the subs. So the contractor took all the money from FedEx and never paid the subs. So I think he left like a million dollars on the table. I had luckily foreseen some of it. A lot of guys were a lot worse than me. Um, but I think I lost about 100000 from him. And I, the concrete guy, um, so I had lost a, probably seventy or 80000 fixing stuff from the concrete guy. Then they didn't pay me $100,000. And so, you know, it was a terrible situation. Other people lost probably more than me, um, but I was one of the losers in that. Actually, and even worse, to add insult to injury on this failure that I went through, um, sued the guy. So I paid an attorney. We sued the guy. I won the lawsuit. Then we had to sue him again to try and get him to pay. He agreed to a payment plan and still never paid. So, you know, not only, so I lost another 30 grand doing that, trying to get to recoup some of the money. So yeah, that was a massive failure. So, but what I've learned is one, you know, you, you, you want, you want to be very careful in what you do with business. You can only help people as far as you can, but it's stay in your lane with your business and don't get sidetracked. Don't look for a quick buck or an extra buck unless you really know what you're getting yourself into. And, you know, helping people just because you've known them for a long time doesn't mean that they're someone good to go into business with. Mm. Wow. What a great story. So I love that lesson there and, and and what you've learned and, you know, sharing that we should stay in our lane. Um, so I'm guessing that uh, when the project came, it was exciting, but you knew it was like a big chunk uh, like that to bite off. Um, so you figure you had a, you had enough support with this guy, but something was telling you, your gut instinct was telling you, wait a minute, you know, maybe he could do it. <laughs> so would you in right. hindsight be like, oh, I'll find another concrete guy? Well, yeah, well, in hindsight, no, I mean, I'm a general contractor. In hindsight, you know, I shouldn't have worked under an out-of-town contractor. So the one of the largest lessons I've learned in construction is, you know, there's massive projects and there's always opportunity. And so it just depends, you know, how much you're out pursuing opportunities and what you want to focus on. And so, you know, that looked like in the, you know, initial analysis when we put in the bid, it was making a lot of money, right? But in the end, we we made no money. Right. And but that's not my lane. My lane is working direct for owners. When you're working for a subcontractor who's an out of town subcontractor who's just coming into town for just the one project, the problem is there is everybody that they are subcontracting to, they don't have a relationship with. So a lot of times this happens where these large contractors come in and they find all the local contractors, give them the work, and then when it comes pay time at the end, they don't get the last bit. These guys, some of these guys, and it's not every, not all of the ones that are national contracts or go around, but a lot of these larger contracts will go into these smaller tertiary markets. They get a large project and they come in and they'll slow pay all those trades all the way to the end. They'll do a retainage and you'll never get the retainage. They'll be gone and you'll never get that. So you can clop 10% off of every subcontract that those guys put out. And it's just enough money for you to not 
make it, you, it's not worth suing over. So you just have to take the hit and take the hit and take the hit. And they do that over and over and over again. So that was something that I learned. I already kind of knew when those guys came in, but now I, I would never work for anybody or even under anyone. So the great experience was, you know, I would much rather do a smaller job self-working as the GC than work on a massive project under someone. Gotcha. Gotcha. Wow. So good. So good, brother. Um, so any advice in terms of, I mean, I know we have to part in, in a minute, but uh, I wanted to speak to briefly, seemingly your instincts on, on, on the sales process on marketing seems like, you know, from the get go with the bar, you know, and the flyers, uh, you know, right. all the way up until, you know, your construction, like you, you, you seem to have a handle or an understanding what, what's one of the things that you saw consistently work throughout your businesses. So what I what I'm constantly doing is trying to find something. So, you know, I specialize in what I specialize in. Then I try and find a complementary area where there's opportunity and then I pursue it. And then what I do is I find what what's the way to reach out to these people and contact these people. And so, you know, whether it's when I was getting in construction and commercial constructions where I focus. So I was working for the school systems, working for, you know, colleges, local county school systems, and a lot of government work because that was what was out there when I started. But I'd always wanted to do upfits, commercial upfits and retail spaces and, you know, office upfits and and renovations and changes. So that was really one of my vision goals. And I, I just thought that was so appealing that you get to work with these national franchise companies and, you know, work at all of these great name brand companies. I just loved the idea of that. So I tried to figure out how do I get involved in this? What, what do I, who do I reach out to? Who, who do you find to get the opportunity to work at these and how do I do it? And so, you know, it started out with, I would go to every real estate agent in town. I would give them my card. I'd bring them breakfast. I would drop off stuff. So basically I would drop off a box of donuts with a bunch of my business cards and here's a box of donuts, not bother them. Or I would come by with, you know, a lunch, catered lunch, drop it off with a bunch of my business cards, maybe stay there, introduce myself to a couple of people, give them my cards, let them know what I do. Say, please refer anybody to me, whatever. Right. That's one. That was one avenue. Another thing I would do is I'd go to all the shopping centers in the area and I would say, you know, who handles um, the construction contract? So they would have an onsite real estate. And then, and then I'm like, well, who handles if you guys need smaller things done that you have to get done? So, you know, if you've got sidewalk repairs or you've got building repairs that aren't inside the spaces, how can I build a relationship with you? You know, calling, calling, calling. Not a lot of people are calling those people. So I'd build that relationship, get an opportunity there. Then those people would refer me to the upfits, right? The real estate agents, they're the ones that are finding the space for the people. They'll refer to the upfits. So I kind of gained a couple little inside pieces to that. Then through that, then once I got a couple contacts, then you get the upfit for somebody. If it's a franchise, normally there's going to be more than one of those happening in the world. So you get that. You ask them, can you refer me to any other franchisees? Do you know any other franchisees? Right. Then you start building a referral funnel. So that's how you kind of start to build it and grow it and all based on, yeah, sales processes. And I'll do cold calls. I'll do whatever, whatever needs to be done to make a sale, to get some deals working. That's what I'll do. I love that. I, I love showing up. I, I love the local, the, the localization of it. I love the agents. Uh, basically, you know, you know, walking in, you know, it's a brick and mortars and, and building relationships, right? Shaking hands, uh, showing that you're a real, uh, letting them get a sense, you know, because there's nothing m more powerful than, you know, the power of proximity. You know, I just 
love that old school nature. And I think that we've gotten away from that uh, in this whole virtual Zoom world uh, that, that you know, we have to sort of start going back to the way things were done uh, and, and, and a nice hybrid, uh, so to speak. You know, maybe there's a there's a good medium there. Uh, but brother, I've been appreciating this very much. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you again at, at, at the next uh, Micro Tribe. Um, so in one word, how do you help people? I'd say, you know, time, I give my time to people. And so, you know, I, I'm very structured and build out my day and have calendar moments of every time of my day. And so what I like to do is elevate, educate, and encourage people for growth. So everybody around me, I try to encourage and pull the most out of them as I can. And so I, when I spend time with someone, it's to, you know, help them find their growth within themselves. And so a lot of times that looks like me delegating something off to someone else, but, you know, supporting them through it and just having the trust that they can get something done, right? So I want to spend time, help people grow and be better people and be the best they can be. And so kind of giving them that opportunity through time of my time is how I try and give people in one word. Yeah, time's super valuable uh, as I've come to find <laughs> uh, as yeah. I reach my 50s and, um, you know, start to experience my midlife and think that, uh, wow, yeah, I'm not getting that back. So I appreciate that. And you're, you're giving it to people. Um, if they want to take advantage of that, how can they reach out to you, brother? Yeah, I mean, they can come and find me uh, through timelesspropertycc.com. There's a contact form on that. Or you can always email me at uh, tony at timelesspropertycc.com. Happy to connect with anybody, help anybody, uh, get in the construction game, understand construction, whatever I can do to help somebody. Appreciate that, brother. Well, thanks again for this chat, man. Uh, it's, been, it's, it's been a blessing to uh, share some time with you. Eric, thanks so much for having me, man. It's been a blast. That's it for now, folks. If you'd like to stay in touch with the show, you can contact me directly at eric at onairbrands.com. That's eric, E-R-I-K, at onairbrands.com. And if you aren't already subscribed to the show, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, or any other podcast platform. And please recommend us to one or two people in your circle. That will go a long, long way to growing our community. Also, if you could rate us on iTunes, just take a moment uh, to give us five stars. And if they have more stars, give all of them. We'd greatly appreciate you for that. And always, always like, subscribe, and share, share, share this show on social media. We'd love you for that as well. And if you have any ideas or want to hear something on a future show, please hit us up. Maybe you have a question for one of my guests or you want to uh, tell a story, a success story. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. You can do that, especially if you're on the Anchor platform. You can leave us a voice message. We'd love to incorporate you and your voice on a future episode. Once again, folks, thanks again for listening to the Entrepreneur Circle. Please like, subscribe, and share, share, share. I am Eric Cabral, and as always, remember, your network is your net worth. So get in the circle. Mm -hmm.